Turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting that uh, this got pushed off to this day because in just a few weeks we're going to actually be entering into Genesis in a, in a more full study through Genesis. This is just a, a, a one-off sermon in our series on, um, that we've called Afterwards. And you know we had been through the series on what we believe as a church. We walked through our statement of faith and then we've been in this other series called Afterwards, meaning that they're, they're, it's like the you know, end of a book kind of thing and saying, hey, how, how do we connect what we believe with this? Or how, how do we connect what we believe with this? And this morning, it's connecting what we believe to the Imago Dei, to the image of God on us. So Genesis 1, verse 27. Obviously, in a grand context that Lord willing will we'll cover in a few weeks, this is what he says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, we could spend our whole time this morning speaking about the brokenness of abortion or the brokenness of racism or the brokenness of gender confusion or the brokenness of toxic masculinity and the devaluing of womanhood or orphans or immigrants, the elderly, the imprisoned, the poor, you name it. We could talk about all of that. We could, we could enter into the reality of what, it, what, what the Imago Dei connects us in with all of these things. Each are worth more time than what we can give this morning, but there's a connection that I want to make this morning between all of them, and we've mentioned it a handful of times already, as those who are followers of King Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of God, by the blood of Christ Jesus himself, we are not simply those who speak into each of those issues because they're cultural issues that we take a stand on, but because the Bible makes it clear that the stand that we take on those issues comes from what we foundationally believe as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're not just wrapped up in a, in a ideology, but we are founded on the word of God and what we believe, and it speaks into areas like this. It's not just some proof texts that we would have on each issue that we look to as we engage these issues. It's actually a significant, vital, whole Bible teaching that must inform how we think about these issues, specifically abortion this morning or other ones that we'll get to as well. Namely this, that the foundational truth for all of mankind, whether understood or believed or not, is that all of mankind, 100% of mankind, male and female, the two genders, were made in the image of God. And the brokenness all around us stems from the marring of that image, as evidenced in so many areas of society, including those that we'll make a mention of for a few moments today. So begin thinking about this together by asking this primary question, what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? Now, whole books have been written about this. I'm not certainly going to uh, tackle everything, but here's, here are some thoughts. One, the fact that someone is made in the image of God. So you look around the room and you see humans, right? Made in the image of God. You look around the country, enemies and friends, made in the image of God. You look around the world, enemies, friends, all made in the image of God. And we believe that all of humanity is absolutely unique above all creation. 
we come to the account of the creation of man and woman, we see that not only they were created by God, which is also enormously important, created by God. They are, we are the created. We are not the creators. We are not just loose creatures that just kind of meandered around getting to where we are today. We were created by God, which is, again, we'll, we'll talk to in, in a few weeks, but they were, we are created in the image of God. Exclusively among all that was created was the creation of man and women. Verse 26, 27, and 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis. Again, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In this early passage, in the Word of God, in the, in the unassailable Word of God, the, the perfect Word of God, we find the establishment of a very foundational and existential truth regarding humanity. We come to understand in verse 26, if not before, right away that God is the creator and mankind, both male and female, are unique among all the rest of creation. Nothing about God's image was stamped anywhere else. On humans, male and female, the two genders. There's nothing else in all of creation that's made in the image of God. So we believe that humanity is absolutely unique among all creation. Second, we believe that all human life, then, is of the utmost value. It's really very, very important that we not tie the image of God to our ability to think or process or have intellect or create and love and lead and rule. We, I've, I've taught that before, that God is like this, so this is what the image of God is like. We think like God. We can act like God. We have a will. We have, but it doesn't cover it. That, that, that does not speak into the reality of the value of being made in the image of God. These are qualities that exist in many humans, but it's not what it means to be made in the image of God. And so I was in error when I have taught something like that. The image of God is not a quality within human beings. It's what humans simply are. Image bearers. Every human, regardless of its stage of development, is an imager of God. This, this imaging does not come in parts, it doesn't come incrementally, nor does it come from any physical or spiritual ability. Rather, it stems from being created as God's image bearers. What we believe the Bible teaches is that humanity was created as the image of God, meaning we are created to function as God's representatives in this world. It's what makes humans, all humans, valuable. One thing that unifies us all is, as humans, no matter where our allegiances lie or where we're most willing to disagree, is the biblical truth that humans above everything else are God's image bearers. That's something that's just, I, I, I know there's a reality of this, like, how many, how many times have I said that already? I've said it repeatedly over and over again and will continue to do so because we must have it planted deep within not just our heads but our hearts that we are all made in the image of God. Not just a certain segment. Not just those who can think and process every single 
person. Primary to our understanding of life and ethics as believers in Christ is this foundational truth of the image of God imprinted on all humanity. And if you don't believe that, if you don't have God as, as the one who created you, and, and you don't have this understanding what comes from Scripture, that we are made in the image of God, then you might understand why there's things happening that are happening. Michael Heiser says this. He says, this is why Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is followed by what theologians call the dominion mandate in verse 28. The verse informs us that God intends us to be him on this planet. We are to create more imagers, be fruitful and multiply, fill, in order to oversee the earth by stewarding its resources, harnessing them for the benefit of all human imagers, that is to subdue or rule over, to, to be not only created by God, but to be made in the image of God is truly wonder of wonders. And certainly one might take that too far and say that we are made as little gods or whatever. That's not what it's saying. We are made in the image of God to glorify God in everything we do. 100% of humanity is what we're made for. Third thing, we believe that the image of God is finally restored through Christ. That's, that's what we believe. If you know the rest of the story from Genesis, Genesis 3 to be precise, you know that humanity disobeys God. The sin of unbelief enters the world. They're removed from the garden shortly after. Uh, we have the first murder. Humanity has broken the law. They have fallen short of the glory of God. They have the presence and practice of sin at work in them. And humans just simply did not represent God at all accurately. Uh, they marred it and, and did so devastatingly, and it's been so ever since. Romans 3, 23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Still, while the image of God in mankind has been considerably marred, the foundational and unique reality of mankind bearing the image of God in our own person is not entirely lost. It's not as though it's not still there. It's not still the ability to be able to do that by God's grace. What was lost in the fall will one day be restored through the return and reign of Christ in full. We thought about it throughout our time and our We Believe series and what we celebrate week in and week out is that Jesus came for the glory of God, to redeem us from the effects of sin. The reality of sin points to the reality that while the Imago Dei exists in all human beings, it's obviously broken. It's all part of our frustration with ourselves. It's part of our frustration with one another. It's part of our frustration with people in this world. It's part of our frustration that boils over into anger when decisions are made in our country or around the world when things are let go. It's part of the struggle that we have when, when we were talking about Philip and Lita in Belarus a, couple, a number of months ago. And, and, and that just stuff just continues where there is just injustice over and over and over again. One day we can be absolutely amazed by the actions of other people who are serving and caring so well and sacrificially for others, and then the next day be utterly shocked by something that same person said or did or posted or whatever. The image of God reflected in some ways, but considerably broken in other ways. And the purpose for which Jesus came to live and die in our place was to begin, was again to glorify God by beginning the redemptive process where men and women who have marred that image so greatly could be restored into the full image and likeness of God and his glory through the person of Jesus Christ who was the perfect representation of God. 
who was God himself. Those who trust in Jesus' experience, the beginning of the restoration of the Imago Dei in their lives has begun. Being restored. We were saved. We've been delivered. We have, we have been restored and are being restored, and one day we will be fully restored. And this is what King Jesus is doing, Colossians 1. He's, he is doing it all for all, all those who are his. Followers of King Jesus. Friends, listen to this. Followers of King Jesus, of all people, should be able to see and truly know something more than just the brokenness of humanity, but, but actually taste some of the restoration themselves of such beauty. And feeling the marring, but knowing the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit to cause us to work in us that, that we are being redeemed, we are being restored, we are being renewed. We get that more than anybody. We should be able to feel that and not just feel the weight and the, and the, 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 the grievous things that are going on. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but to understand that in us, in us, renewal has begun in Christ. Not because there's anything special about us as compared to somebody else beside us, but the fact that God has borne his grace out on us through Christ by the power of the Spirit. We also begin to see all people as having innate value and worth. And when we see that the path to the restoration we need isn't in just simply decision-making, decision differences that need to be made, although those things need to be made, but it does mean that our hope, as Sherry mentioned, and as hope rising promotes and speaks and proclaims and as we proclaim this and as we'll take the Lord's Supper in a few moments we proclaim his death until he comes that our hope, our hope isn't in our decision making but in the decision of God to give us all the righteousness of Christ that the restoration of our newness of life is found in him and not in us. Surrendered to him you and I can experience fresh tastes of, of glory of the restoration of the Imago Dei among one another. So we look around at each other and we, we know we're not perfect. We know we struggle. We see the struggle. We see the sorrow. We see the suffering just in our own church. But we look and we say, God is not only active, he is active to restore and to renew and to make much of himself in our suffering and in our joyful moments. Considered this year as what we do, indeed live our lives, and what we, how we live our lives is, 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 how, is, is in light of what we believe. So in light of our belief of all humanity being made in the image of God, how, how do we respond to major cultural issues? What effect does our belief in the Imago Dei have on us? Is that even in our minds when we're thinking about pro-life or the, the, the most recent difficulty in our culture? Now, again, we could go into all sorts of areas here. I'm going to go into three. And, um, and the first one is that our belief in the Imago Dei causes us to grieve the plight of abortion. And you might say, well, yeah, duh. But, but you see what the motivation is. It's not just that I just don't agree with that. I don't think it's right. Well, why don't you think it's right? Because of our belief in the Imago Dei. The image of God. 
heard some statistics just a bit earlier from Sherry, and even in light of recent decisions by the Supreme Court, and we're thankful for those, the ongoing devastating destruction of the lives of the littlest lives is an absolute tragedy. And as devastating as abortion is on life and the image of God imprinted on that specific little life, so is the devastating effect on those left behind. Moms, dads deal with regrets and trauma, as she mentioned, and perhaps the unseen reality of hardness of heart and um, a hardness of heart against the innate values of life itself, and a hardness of heart, especially towards God. It's just, though it's because we're made in the image of God, built into who we are, seeing right and wrong, understanding right and wrong, but our hearts grow hard, begin to be confused. And I'm so thankful that you brought this up, and I'm going to bring it up again, that the number of people within the church who could be described as post-abortive is significant. The statistics state that a high percentage of those who have abortions profess some kind of religious background. Um, now, with that understanding, again, as Sherry mentioned, there's a strong likelihood of someone listening here or online um, who has dealt with or continues to deal with the effects of abortion. And in case you missed it, from Sherry's lips, let me, let me have you hear it again. I want you to know that God so very much loves you. He's died for every sin that separated us from God, including abortion. Paul states in Romans 5.20 that where sin increased, grace abound how much? All the more. And please know that God loves you and is compassionate towards you and in him there is full forgiveness, full forgiveness, full acceptance, full care and healing. And we want to come alongside of you in whatever way possible. And, and you, you heard Hope Rising is available also in a very specific, specifically helpful way. Now we believe that it is at conception, no matter how small or insignificant, seemingly insignificantly, a zygote is, it bears the image of God. Their value is not found in their productivity. Their value is not found or bound up in their self-reliance or their body parts or their ability to feel pain or not. The value is wrapped up entirely from the moment of conception on in the reality that they bear the image of God. That's the argument. We say, we believe, it's they are marked at conception by the image of God, by the creator himself. It's not, goes, goes way beyond what we can simply evaluate and put a price on either individually or nationally. Until that's understood, it's just gonna be a political issue that's debated back and forth about whatever, but the church of all people who knows that we are made in the image of God because we have been given eyes to see, not because we're better, but because of the Spirit of God and, and, and we are being restored in the image of God by, through Christ, we, we see. We're not wiser, we're not smarter, we're not greater, but we have been given eyes to see and believe that all of mankind, from the littlest, tiny, you, know, you can't hardly see what's going on, to the oldest among us and the most sick among us is absolutely 100% marked by something that we cannot quite get a grip on except that we are told by God in his word that we are marked by his image. And that's what makes us valuable. That's what we believe. 
so much more than an enormous political issue that's often denigrated into hateful, dehumanizing interaction between image bearers stands the foundational biblical truth that the value of life is not simply in the life itself, but in the image of God that is imprinted on that life. And I hope, I hope you see that. That makes us distinctly biblical Christians, distinctly understanding the, there is something different that God created us and that he created us in his image. That this should mark our, our, our conversations. This should mark our understandings. This should mark our compassion for those who don't believe that. What gives humans inherent value, no matter if in the moment of conception or beyond, is that God himself has imprinted his nature on humanity, again, not to be little gods or big gods, but to reflect him, to be his representatives, to point to him, to bring glory to him, to enjoy him, and to worship him forever. And as I go to what glorifies God. Every stage of pregnancy glorifies God. Every stage of humanity glorifies God or it's being marred. So may we grieve the millions of children who were never born. And may we grieve the ongoing shedding of blood in our society, no matter what the Supreme Court decides on any specific decision as seemingly helpful as the decision might be. May we grieve the decision of many in our society that a woman's body is more valuable than a baby's body. May we grieve the confusion in the world regarding what's of value and what isn't. May we grieve the pain and difficulty and regrets of so many who make the decision to end life by abortion. There's so much pain in the world, so much devastating pain and suffering. This is not just a simple decision for people to make, for most people to make. And even those who are committing the atrocities, made in the image of God, who need to be restored, who need to understand that they are accountable to God. Oh, rather than just simple anger and frustration, may we grieve the fact that they are broken people that are in desperate need of a Savior. May we grieve for our society that's called what is wicked and destructive, the simple right of one person created in the image of God over another who has been likewise created. So, so a question, I guess, for our hearts is, are we just angry about stuff, or are we grieving, lamenting, and taking our lament to the Lord, and allowing that to inform, we'll get to some application in a bit, but getting that to kind of inform why we would want to help Hope Rising. Second, our belief in the Imago Dei causes us to grieve the plight of racism. Sanctity of human life is not just about little babies. It, it, because the image of God is given to all mankind of all colors, all tribes, all peoples, all nations, our belief in that causes us to grieve the plight of racism. Now, again, define racism however you, you, you want. I'm just saying, like, the reality, well, you can't, you can't really just define it the way you want. It is, it is clearly looking at someone else sideways in a lesser way. Partially might be because of how they dress, as James speaks of. It might be because it's a different color um, that you see 
or it might be a different culture or a different ethnicity, whatever, whatever it is. You have all sorts of reasons behind that. When it comes to racism or any sort of partiality for that matter, it happens because a person believes deep down that there is something better about one kind of person over another. Though we might not say it that way, that's at the core of what's going on inside of my heart. And I shared with you a couple years ago the fact that I was... The Spirit was revealing areas in my life where I was doing that. And I felt like I was very, very keenly aware of caring for all sorts of people and yet recognizing in my heart certain feelings that came up when certain things happened in our culture concerning this area. So we think something's better about one kind of person over another or even a devaluing of another person's very real experience based on our own personal observational or experiential value and opinion other than the absolute foundational value of all people being made in the image of God, no matter who they are, what color they are, no matter where they live, all, all of that. Perhaps it's pride, perhaps it's greed, perhaps fear, maybe it's control, maybe it's ignorance. Whatever it is, the image of God in another human has been eclipsed by it, and my friends, this should not be. This should not be among us, especially as those who follow Christ and who believe that all mankind is made in the image of God. If we as the church believe that God's word teaches that all humanity, no matter how much one disagrees with whomever, bears the image of God, and if we understand that all have fallen short of living as image bearers but have marred the image through various forms of sin, and if we know that the gospel of King Jesus is the one thing, the one thing that will unite people from all colors and all ethnicities, then you and I here at Sovereign Grace Church Dayton should be a people who are more kind, more compassionate, more forgiving more intentional and relational and ethnic diversity and more passionate for any racial reconciliation, no matter the cost, than anyone else on this planet. We should be marked by this, not arguing about it. As those who believe that we are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of grace, we should be the first to, rather than fight tooth and nail against whatever political talking point is out there, instead grieve the reality of racism, whether we get it or not entirely, the reality of some element of racism that perhaps is beyond our experience, that's been part of the world here that we live in, including this country and including this city. We should be the first to grieve that not just one generation ago, buses and schools and restaurants and swimming pools and water fountains were segregated rather than dismissing it as simply a matter of history that needs to be left in the past. Oh, we've dealt with that. Oh, really? Just a generation ago. And in some places, today. We should be the first to grieve the hurtful words and actions and oppression and rejection that others have experienced in their life, in their family, whether those experiences are today or in years past. We are affected by that which has come before us. All of us, 100% of all of us. And just because we don't understand another ethnicity or another color or another people or whatever their experiences, and we inform their experiences based on our experiences, you see, there's a problem. We should be the first to grieve that pain that lies in the hearts of the men and women whom we might agree, disagree with entirely concerning political reasonings, 
We're not. But because they're made in the image of God, they have experienced, and their forefathers have experienced, things that denigrate the thing that we say we believe as foundational. We should be the first to grieve any continuation in our society today of anything that tends towards this kind of experience, whether in Dayton or this state or this country or in this world or in your very family. And we should be the first to recognize and long for the day with, when, with, with one voice and, and one beautiful voice, people of all colors. The, f- the funeral a few weeks ago when you all were singing a Kenyan song. Just a, just a taste, just a taste of a, of a, a wonderfully cultural um, proclamation of the greatness of God and unity and we get to participate in that because King Jesus is on the throne and because he is restoring all things to himself and made in the image of God is going to be our true reality in that day when we see him face to face. We should be the first to recognize and long for that day. Worshiping him in ceaseless praise and thanksgiving, having found that he is not only our creator, but our savior and our Lord and the lover of our souls. Black, white, whatever color we are, whatever nationality we are, there will be unity in Christ. And friends, that is not just for that day. Of all, of all people on this planet, the church of, not the church of Jesus Christ, you know, I mean our church. Our church, the church that believes that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Through him is salvation. This church, that kind of church, that kind of church that believes in Christ Jesus alone for the salvation of the sins. People that believe that the Holy Spirit has regenerated their hearts and lived to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We, we should be among the people that express that kingdom to come in the kingdom today that is alive and at work in this world. But we are not part of the American kingdom. We are, we are on one hand, we are primarily of the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit, by King Jesus, surrendering to him in everything we do. Thirdly, our belief in the Imago Dei causes us to grieve the plight of disabilities. Now, out of all the things to talk about, why, why disabilities? Abortion's sinful. Racism is sinful. Disability is not, not sinful. Um, well, it comes because of a personal experience. Um, it comes because with my mom entering into um, a, a deep area of dementia, prior, in the early days when we were talking together, there was lots of questions from my mom and from others of uh, losing value. Um, not being worth anything. I just don't want to exist if I can't. We, 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 we can get that. We can, we, can, we can understand to some extent that reality. You know, is it worth living if I can't think, if I can't remember, if I can't walk, if I can't do that which I used to be able to do? If you can't produce, what use are you to those around you? These questions were coming again from my mom and from others. And the questions are, again, understandable because many in this world, both inside and outside the church, believe that people 
who don't add value, or who don't seem to have much function and diminish in humanity, especially in their mind, they, they, they aren't seen as functionally valuable. I mean, loved, perhaps, cared for, put up with, but their value in the eyes of many has diminished. Remember my mom saying something like, I grieve, this is understandable, right? But I grieve the woman I once was. I grieve for the woman. I long for the woman I once was. And I know there's people here that are experiencing similar things. And, and that grief is real and true. But listen, this reality, this reality of the Imago Day does not take one iota away from their value. For those who don't believe in a creator and don't understand the problem of sin in the world, they don't understand the power and the redemption of Christ or in Christ and don't believe in the redemption yet to come, all they have to go with is the functional ability of a human. For the one who doesn't believe in God, there is zero significance in humanity supposedly being made in the image of God. It's not even on their radar their view on life and the value of a life is entirely different because of their view of God. And, and, and rather than giving us fits of anger and rage that should give us the utmost compassion and grief and lament and should inform our prayers for people who are making those decisions that are so anti this. Every human's value does not exist in function. It exists truly and ultimately in the reality of them having the imprint of God on them. And who should understand this better than the Christian? And because of our belief in this primary issue of people being made in the image of God, we should grieve the brokenness in this world that causes disabilities. We grieve the frustrating limitations and challenges that are part of a disabled person's life. We grieve the rejection and loneliness they feel and those who care for them certainly feel and the... And the, the depth of despair that they feel. You know, we have a hard time understanding and grasping because we're not in that same situation. And we also agree with the general lack of concern and sensitivity that others feel about those who are disabled. The Imago Day, our belief in the Imago Day, it's should cause us, should cause us much compassion for each other. Well, we believe that Christians should be the ones who value all human life more than anyone. And that's what we believe. Those of us who believe that God is our creator, who understand the concept of image bearing, who know about the ravages of sin, and who believe in Christ as our savior, redeemer, and restorer, ought to be passionate advocates for life, whether in the womb or outside the womb, and grieve over the cultural diminishment of destruction of life via both words, actions, and inaction. Rather than simply getting angry over what's at the root of the problems in this world, especially as it relates to cultural issues, we should be those who grieve. Anger, can be reserved for the enemy of our souls who is at work to destroy the image of God among humanity. And he's, he's at work. So if you're going to be angry, direct your anger towards him. 
But for the image bearers who have fallen for his devices, this must produce grief rather than anger. Grief that causes us to take our lament to the God of all grace and power and plead for a work of the Spirit among the people. We grieve over policies and hateful actions by the citizenry and the government while we respond to those same policies and actions by way of gracious, kind, sacrificial activism and intervention like serving or supporting Hope Rising. And I encourage you to pursue that at the table in the back or talk to Sherry or you can talk to me after today and we'll connect you up. Rather than remaining generally silent or only choosing to vent on social media or to succumb to the lie that there can be nothing done and so end up choosing to do nothing, we start by praying. We start by grieving, taking our lament to the Lord. We will continue doing that, grieving and lamenting to the Lord, and we will ask him for direction on how we can participate actively. We grieve that the image of God among humanity is continually and increasingly being marred and is in desperate need of redemption and restoration. So we pray and we plead with God and we speak of the grace of God and the value of human life on account of all life being made in the image of God as we interact with those different from us ethnically or those whom we disagree with almost entirely. A couple of years ago, our friend Tim Shorey came to teach uh, a seminar on respecting the image that's a book, uh, Respect the Image, that if you are interested in reading that book, I have, we have copies um, that you can ask for, and we'll just give them to you. He spoke specifically about this truth, especially as related to our relationships with others, that mankind is made in the image of God that we interact with one another, it demands that we interact with one another as those who have this unique and glorious value, no matter the gender, no matter the skin color, no matter the heritage, whether in different parts of the world, different parts of the city, different parts of one family, and we interact with blessing and not cursing. Recall the simple words of James in chapter 3 as he speaks of our tongues, and he says this as to Christians, he says, with it, our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not do so. Not only is it damaging to others when we curse them in our speech, but treating people in that manner is wrong because doing so breaks the sanctity of God's image on a particular man, particular man or woman or boy or girl, whether it's physical abuse or murder or verbal assault. It's not okay for humans to treat others other humans, no matter how much you disagree with them, with derision or mocking and cursing. Because to do so is treating the image of God in that person as if it's not important at all, rather than truly respecting the image of God in a person. The primary issue at stake here has to do with the glory of God among the nations. That's the primary issue. Rather than visceral anger and harsh speech and tactics, all things that may very well mark those who don't live for the glory of God, Christians are to be marked by steadfast, loving, kind, gracious action amid grace-laced, truthful words, amid a very real grief over the debasing of God's image that's imprinted on humanity. We have been called to join God on his mission to redeem a people who will see him as glorious and will see him as merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our grief about the diminishment of the image of God in humankind stems from not just issues related to life and choice and color and wokeness and liberal conservative values, but our grief as those who have been given eyes to see the glory of God is that the glory of God in humanity has been trampled. The glory of God is at stake. Not just decisions, not just 
things that are going on in our culture, the glory of God, our grief that the glory of God is being diminished should cause us to pray. Our grief should cause us to love. Our grief should cause us to rescue. Our grief should cause us to share the hope of Christ and all the blessings of God that are found in him. Our authentic grief and love and patient, steadfast care can prove to be a strong message, a strong message to the world that there is something more at stake than winning a stinking argument about something in the cultural war, but instead is something absolutely eternal and foundational to our lives. We have been changed. We have been moved from one kingdom to another kingdom. We don't live for the kingdom of this world. We live for the kingdom of the Son. We have been brought into the kingdom of the Son, and this is what King Jesus is speaking to us about this morning, as far as I can tell from my understanding of Scripture. We believe that God's primary mission is to spread the fame of his glory of his name, the glory of his name among the nations, locally and internationally. And one way he primarily does that is through his people living in light of the truth that other humans, both friends and enemies, are made in the image of God, and they all deserve honor, and they all need to know that not only is there inherent value in who they are as God's image bearers, but there is life, real life, and real joy to be found in him. If only they might hear the message of the gospel from our gracious tongues and through our loving actions amid the clanging symbols of the gospel, this cry for and the expectation that many Christians have of a, of a wicked government trying just to be more moral. The hope that we have is in Christ and him crucified. That the Spirit would, would blow on this land. What we need are government officials to be regenerated by the Spirit of God to love Christ and to know this truth. And how are they going to know if we're only arguing about these issues? May we have the gospel of grace on our tongues and on our hands and in our ears. As we speak and act and listen, especially as we listen, may we be a redeemed people who love deeply and sacrificially all who are made in the image of God, that not only lives be saved and protected, but that ultimate joy would be found in knowing God and finding mercy and forgiveness and life in him among the nations for the glory of God. May it be so.